Shut up and sit down. Listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast, bringing you this sports show. What's it like in Cleveland for the World Series? We'll talk to someone covering the games and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 44 of The Bridge. (laughs) Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of The Bridge, coming to you live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, to bring you the best and brightest of the sports world. That's right, The Bridge is live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, though the show is technically pre-recorded. If you missed the live show, the podcast version of The Bridge is available 48 hours after the initial broadcast, which means you can find the newest episode of The Bridge on iTunes or on my website at londonbridge.com on your Friday nights. I'll save all the ways you can listen to The Bridge and where you can find the show until the end of this latest installment. If anything, you can always call in or text the show 24-7 at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you might just be featured on the next installment of The Bridge. All right, plenty to do for this week's show. Let's sound the horn. Sometimes it's easy to blame the misfortunes of your favorite sports teams or even the misfortunes in life on curses. With Halloween right around the corner, some may be planning their attack for warding off demons or melting down their silver in case of werewolves or weaving a necklace of garlic to scare away vampires. But since this is a sports show, I can't provide you with ways you can avoid curses and problems for this Monday night's Halloween. Instead, we're going to talk about sports curses, and more notably, the ones swirling around the teams playing in this year's World Series. We've got a little bit more time to play with for these segments, and I think you'll enjoy this week's edition of Sports News Red Like Real News. Halloween is this Monday, so be on the lookout for ghouls and goblins or witches and warlocks eager to use their potions or spells to cast a curse upon your poor unfortunate souls. But if those types of curses aren't quite your thing, look no further than the sports world. There's been plenty of past curses, such as the Madden video game curse, which lasted 14 years from 1998 to 2012. The video game brutally affected the careers of Garrison Hurst, Barry Sanders and Dorsey Levins, Eddie George, Dante Culpepper, Marshall Falk, Michael Vick, Ray Lewis, Donovan McNabb, Sean Alexander, Vince Young, not Green Bay Packers quarterback Brett Favre, Troy Palomalu, Drew Brees, and Peyton Hillis. Fortunately for athletes, the curse seemingly came to an end with the release of Madden 13 for the 2012 season, with Detroit Lions wide receiver Calvin Johnson on the cover. Johnson broke Jerry Rice's single-game season receiving yards record that year and missed 2,000 receiving yards by just 36. He also finished the season leading the league in receptions and receiving yards. Perhaps the Madden gods were smiling upon him for his past penances as Megatron was on Detroit's 2008 team that will go down as one of the worst teams in pro sports history. 
The Lions became the first team in NFL history to win zero games and have 16 losses at season's end. There was also the curse of William Penn in the city of Philadelphia. For years, architects in the city had a gentleman's agreement that no building would be higher than the City Hall statue of William Penn, the founder of the city. However, in 1987, one Liberty Place was built and stood 400 feet higher than City Hall did. In 2007, workers of the newly built Comcast Center, the now tallest building in Philadelphia, placed a small statue of Penn on the final beam. That very next year, the Phillies won the World Series. And most famously, the curse of the Bambino. When the Boston Red Sox sold Babe Ruth to the New York Yankees for $125,000 on January 3rd, 1920. The result, stemming from not winning a World Series since 1918, was 86 years of heartache and pain until the Red Sox became the first team in Major League Baseball history to come back from three games down in a postseason series and beat the hated New York Yankees to advance to the World Series, which they would win in four games. Then there's the current curses, like the curse of the football Cardinals. As the story goes, in 1925, the Pottsville Maroons of Pennsylvania won the NFL championship over the Chicago Cardinals. However, when the Maroons played an authorized game in their state, Commissioner Joseph Carr suspended the team and took the championship away. The people of Pottsville were so angry that they declared a curse upon the Cardinals that would only be lifted when the NFL championship that was once taken away was restored to the right red team. Well, the right red team never received that championship and the curse has followed the Cardinals from Chicago to St. Louis and now Arizona, where the Cardinals still hold the longest championship drought in the NFL at 66 years. In Major League Baseball, this year's World Series matchup is between two teams who happen to have at least one of the biggest proposed curses in the sport. Fortunately, one of those teams is guaranteed to break its curse. First, the Cleveland Indians, who are back in the World Series for the first time since 1997, but are looking for their first World Series title since 1948. The hex currently haunting Cleveland is called the Curse of Rocky Colavito, and though not as infamous as Babe Ruth, Rocky might have a handle for Cleveland's baseball woes. As the story goes, on April 17, 1960, the Cleveland Indians traded Rocky Colavito to the Detroit Tigers for Harvey Kuhn. Colavito was the home run champion of 1959 with 42 dingers, while Kuhn served as the batting champion with the 353 batting average. Fans in Cleveland were outraged by the betrayal of their general manager, Frank Trader Lane. In only two years with the Indians, Lane had taken a mostly successful 40-man roster and traded away nearly every single player he had inherited. If there was one bad omen of what would come because of the trade, look no further than the actual day of the Colavito trade. The Indians played the Chicago White Sox in an exhibition game at Russwood Park in Memphis, Tennessee. Colavito hit a home run in the second inning, and reporters in the press box were informed of the trade shortly thereafter. Four hours after the game ended, Russwood Park, constructed primarily of wood, was destroyed in a fire. The Colavito trade led to a stretch where the Indians did not finish the season within 11 games of first place from 1960 to 1993. And of course, we have the cursed Chicago Cubs, who have not won the World Series since 1908 and have not appeared in a World Series since 1945. As legend has it, 1945 is the start of the hex, deemed the curse of the billy goat. 
During the 1945 World Series with the Cubs facing the Detroit Tigers, ironically, the same team they had once defeated to win the 1908 World Series, longtime Cubs fan Billy Cianis, the owner of the Billy Goat Tavern, came to Game 4 of the series with his pet goat Murphy, like he had done all season long. However, this time, those around him complained about the smell of the goat, and he would be asked to leave. He would, but was outraged, and allegedly sent a telegram to team owner, Philip K. Wrigley, declaring that the Cubs would never win a World Series again. Indeed, the Cubs entered Game 4 of that World Series up two games to one, but would lose that game and then the series in seven games. Another curse, at least for one season, came to the Cubs in 1968, when a black cat walked past Ron Santo while he stood in the on-deck circle, playing against the New York Mets at Shea Stadium on September 9th. At the time, the Cubs held a game-and-a-half lead in the division, but that was fading quickly, and after the incident there was no hope. That loss was part of an eight-game losing streak that contributed to the Miracle Mets making up its 17-and-a-half game deficit to the Cubs in the last quarter of the season before going on to win the World Series. The last big curse, at least again for one season, or specifically one game, came in 2003, which... Humorously enough, was the Chinese Zodiac's Year of the Goat. On October 14th, in the eighth inning of Game 6 of the National League Championship Series, the Cubs had a 3-0 lead over the Florida Marlins and were five outs away from moving on to the World Series since they held a 3-2 game series lead. With one out, several fans attempted to catch a fall ball off the bat of Marlins second baseman Luis Castillo. One of those fans, a Mr. Steve Bartman, reached out for the ball as it came toward his seat. Left fielder Moise Salou was camped at the wall and jumped up, also reaching out, to catch the baseball. Though it appeared the ball was out of reach, and any fan interference was not the reason the out was made, Alou threw a temper tantrum, throwing his glove to the ground and gesturing that the fans had prevented him from catching it. Of course, the television broadcast relished in the misfortune of Moises Alou and quickly began replaying the sequence of events and analyzing which fan had prevented the catch. The culprit was a man wearing a green turtleneck, a Cubs hat, a pair of glasses, and headphones. Casillo would then walk on the next pitch, and the Marlins went on to rally for eight runs in the inning to win the game 8-3. Bartman remained seated as Fox repeatedly broadcast live shots of him between multiple replays of the fall ball. They then continued to show him while the Marlins poured it on against the poor, poor Cubs. Though no replay boards were at Wrigley Field, family and friends of those in left field began informing them of what was on TV, and news quickly spread that Bartman was the culprit. He eventually needed to be escorted from the stadium while debris rained upon him and basically has been in hiding since. Those fans sure do love their Cubs. But if you're into sports coincidences or destinies, consider the number 108, the number of years it's been since the Cubs last won the World Series. For starters, it takes a total of 108 outs to win the World Series. 27 outs, 4 games. At Wrigley Field, the distance from home plate to the left field and right field foul poles is 108 meters. A Major League Baseball also has 108 stitches for its seams. A.G. Spaulding was the Cubs' first manager in 1876 and also the owner of Spaulding Sporting Goods Company 
which makes their baseballs with 108 stitches. In the movies, Back to the Future Part 2 and Taking Care of Business, the Cubs are the featured team that win the World Series in those films. The length and minutes of those movies is 108. Recently, when Javier Baez hit the decisive home run in the NLDS that helped the Cubs advance past the San Francisco Giants, it was on opposing pitcher Johnny Cueto's 108th pitch. Cubs starting pitcher Kyle Hendricks, the winning pitcher in the game that clinched the pennant, was born on December 7th, 1989. If you add the digits of his birth date, 12789, you'll get 108. And lastly, the atomic weight of the coveted World Series trophy is, you guessed it, 108. I'm John Lund for Sports News Red Like Real News. Let's take a quick break to make sure we don't get cursed. When we come back, one Cleveland Indians pitcher who will end up with a much better life after his wedding because of what he did in Game 5 of the ALCS is this week's star of... Wait. Who? We'll be right back on the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. The Cleveland Indians are back in the World Series for the first time since 1997 and have been aided by a pretty dominant bullpen in that process. In the clinching Game 5 of the ALCS between the Cleveland Indians and the Toronto Blue Jays, a rookie pitcher took the mound for his second career start but did just enough to help Cleveland win that game and advance to the Fall Classic. Here's this week's edition of, wait, who? 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 There's always a little added pressure for Cleveland sports teams should they be lucky enough to make the postseason. But the Cleveland Indians started off the postseason unaffected and headed into Game 5 of the American League Championship Series against the Toronto Blue Jays, with a three games to one lead. With a chance at making the World Series for the first time since 1997 on the line, who would be the pitcher for such an important game? Bob Feller? Gaylord Perry? Ricky Vaughn? Ender? Ryan Merritt? Wait. Who? Ryan Merritt was drafted by the Cleveland Indians in the 16th round of the 2011 Major League Baseball Draft, out of the prestigious McLennan Community College. The Indians added him to their 40-man roster on November 20, 2014. This year, Merritt began and ended the minor league season in Triple A Columbus. He had 25 starts on the year showcasing his impeccable control over 147 innings of work, where he walked just 24 batters. He finished with a 3.74 earned run average and allowed 164 hits in his 147 innings of work for the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. Prior to Game 5, the 24-year-old threw six innings in three outings from the bullpen, giving up one run on three hits and also twirled a jam in his first start, earning a win after five innings of one-run ball, on three hits and four strikeouts. Thankfully, that high 80s fastball is perplexing to major league hitters. In that game five, Merritt pitched four and a third shutout innings against Toronto, giving up two hits and striking out three. He is one of only two pitchers in baseball history to have started just one game in the regular season before pitching in the postseason. While the city celebrated its team, it also celebrated Merritt. So much so, that fans found his wedding registry online, and flooded Ryan and his fiancée, Sarah, with gifts. So much so, that only three gifts were left on the registry in the days after Game 5. Some of the gifts tweeted out by fans were wine glasses, serving bowls, 
hand towels, washcloths and muffin tins. While a World Series ring is the ultimate reward for a baseball player, a muffin tin isn't that bad of a consolation prize, am I right? The couple has set January 27th as their wedding date, in her home state of Minnesota. If you can ante up for a toaster, perhaps you too can be invited. Who helped the Cleveland Indians win the American League pennant and has the best muffin tin that money can buy? Ryan Merritt, that's who. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will talk World Series baseball with a gentleman who was at the World Series for this interview. We'll be right back on the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Now, as you heard earlier in the show, you can call in or text into the bridge at any time at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. We switched gears to the National Football League last week, but are back talking baseball as we are right in the heart of the 2016 World Series between the Cleveland Indians and the Chicago Cubs. There's plenty of storied history between these two teams, and regardless of what happens at the end of this series, and next week's show will offer a brief look about what life was like in 1908 when the Cubs last won the World Series, and what life was like in 1948, the last time the Cleveland Indians won the World Series. We were joined this week by John Parado. He's a sports writer who's been in this business for a very long time, doing a slew of different writings for several different publications and websites. You can currently find some of his writings at todaysknuckleball.com, Sports Weekly, Associated Press, and Baseball America. But fortunately enough for us, he is actually in Cleveland for the opening two games of the World Series and conducted this interview from the press box at Progressive Field. So we're very grateful he was able to take some time before the game, actually just a half hour before the game, to tell us a little bit about this World Series and run down what each team might need to do in order to win some of the different players we can look out for. And how great of a job those players and the managers for both ball clubs have done this season to get their teams to the fall classic. So needless to say, the interview might be a little bit difficult to understand at some points because of the noise going on in the background from the crowd and other members of the media. But you'll still be able to hear some of his thoughts on the World Series and really get a better idea of some of the different things we'll be seeing as this series goes on as well. You can follow him on Twitter. He is at J-P-E-R-R-O-T-T-O. He's already got a couple different articles up for game one. He'll have more articles for game two. And he also retweets a lot of articles that are very pertinent in the baseball world. So it's a great source of information. And as I mentioned, a great source for this interview. Keep in mind, this interview was done before game one, which the Cleveland Indians ended up winning six to nothing, a dominant starting pitching performance from Corey Kluber and the Indians bullpen. The Cubs hitters really couldn't find an answer for either and now trail one nothing with the hopes of evening this series up in game two. Even though game one has ended and this show is now live during game two because of potential inclement weather that forced them to push the game back an hour that won't really take away from the discussion we were able to have because it was more general for what we'll see in the entire world series than just one game so you'll be able to hear some of the different things to look out for and get a little bit better of a grasp of this world series which will be leaving from cleveland for chicago for a friday night game three so without further ado let's get into that interview I'm here with John Parado. He is an MLB writer for today's Knuckleball.com, Sports Weekly, Associated Press, and Baseball America, and he's been kind enough to join us live in Cleveland, Ohio, before Game 1 of the 2016 World Series between the Indians and Chicago Cubs. John, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I would be doing a lot better if I was in Cleveland sitting next to you, but I guess this will have to do Since you're lucky enough to cover Game 1 of the World Series, I'm sure you've covered your fair share of playoff series throughout the years. There's always that buzz, especially once we get to the Fall Classic. 
What would you say the atmosphere has been like leading up to the game in Cleveland tonight? Well, you know, it, it's a very unique setting here. Not only uh, are the Indians in the World Series for the first team, first time in 19 years, but, you know, as you get ready for game one here, the Cleveland Cavaliers right across the, the plaza from, from Progressive Field at Clifton Lodge Arena opening their season tonight, coming off an NBA championship, which is the city's first major pro sports championship since 1964. So, you know, it's been a frenzy for three o'clock this afternoon, five hours before game one. You have the Cavaliers raising the championship banner, getting their NBA championship ring, and you have game one of the World Series right across the street, matching up two teams that haven't won a World Series forever. You have the Cubs uh, 1908 and then the Indians 1948. So it's, uh, in, in many ways, one of the greatest, maybe the uh, greatest, Even with the ticket prices being as high as they've been, and I'm sure they've continued to rise as the day has continued, are you pretty much certain that the stadium will definitely be sold out tonight for game one and probably again for game two? Oh, I think so. I think there's no question. It's the World Series. I know, you know, I, I know they, they haven't drawn here well this year and in the last few years in Cleveland. Uh, you know, a lot of it is a very depressed economy here. You have uh, two other pro sports teams in a, in a relatively small market with the Cavaliers, who obviously, you know, especially since LeBron James came back, it's, uh, you know, the, the hot ticket again. And, and the Browns is the football town, as bad as the Browns are. I mean, they're going to draw people. So I think the Indians, uh, you know, kind of get the short end of the stick. There's only so many fan dollars to go around, so much uh, corporate dollars to go around. But, but I certainly feel, you know, them coming out of a, a World Series appearance and possibly a World Series victory when it's all said and done. Certainly should boost the attendance here next year. But uh, but no question they'll be sold out for these games. I mean, World, I've never done a World Series game yet that wasn't sold out. So there will be people here even with the, with the cabs so, up. If we take a brief step back, are you surprised at all that these are the two teams that have made the World Series? Or could you kind of see this coming toward the end of the regular season and even in the playoffs when these two teams started to get hot really at the right time? Well, quite honestly, and I don't want to say I'm a fortune teller, but, but I thought even when the season started, I thought certainly both teams were good enough to get here. I think everybody... Pretty much was an agreement that the Cubs had the most talented roster in baseball. Probably the only real question mark about them coming into the season was their bullpen, and you know, and they went to, to strengthen that by trading for Rollins Chapman and, and you know to go with uh, Rondo and Strope, but to give them a good threesome at the back end of the bullpen. And, and you know, the Indians have kind of taken a different route. Uh, you know, I think everyone thought that their starting pitching was the reason that they would get here because they you know, they could run out a pitcher, you know, for every four, at least the, the top four. And Carrasco and Salazar and Kluber and Bauer were, were four guys who could shut a team down on a given day. And they also had some depth in for the number five starter. Uh, and, and that's certainly when you have that kind of pitching, you always have a chance to win. It hasn't quite worked out that way. Salazar was hurt. Carrasco's hurt. Now Salazar's back for the World Series. Uh, Bauer uh, would only pitch for full four batters in the ALCS because of his grown incident and uh, in the cut finger. So, uh, you know, they, they, they've made this year a little bit differently than, than people thought. But, uh, but certainly, uh, I'm, I'm not shocked that, that either team is here. Only, only surprised for the Indians just for the fact that they had so many injuries coming into the postseason. I thought probably too many to overcome, but uh, they, they have uh, overcome it to this point. Since Cleveland is the home team for the first two games, I guess we can start with them as far as a brief scouting report on some of their strengths. We've, of course, seen the success that that bullpen has been able to have really in whatever situation Terry Francona has decided to throw them into. He's taken a little bit more stranger approach when it comes to the typical how you expect a rotation to go where it's starter maybe your seventh or eighth inning guy, and then you go closer. He's really just pinpointed where he wants his best pitchers to be. It really doesn't make a difference what inning it is or how long they're going to go for. But what do you think has separated the Indians apart to allow them to get to the World Series? The pitching, as you mentioned, in the regular season had a lot of injuries to deal with, but it's really been the pitching 
especially in the bullpen that has really helped them get to where they are now. Well, it really has. And, and you know, and, I mean, you got to give Terry Francona and, and the Indians a lot of credit for what, what they've done here in the postseason. They've taken advantage of the circumstances. One, you have more off days than you would in the regular season, so you can you can push your relievers harder knowing you can rest them more between games. They also have taken advantage of the fact that they put the Red Sox away in three games in the, in the first round, and they put the Blue Jays away in five in the ALCS. So they, they, they haven't had to use their guys that much because they haven't had that many games to play. Now they've had four or five days off since their last game. And, uh, you know, Miller and Allen and, and Shaw and Arrested and Salazar will most likely uh, be, be part of that bullpen uh, mix. And, uh, you know, so what they've been able to do is they've been able to leverage those guys. You, you certainly couldn't do this in a regular season or you blow your bullpen out where you're playing every day with maybe an off day every two weeks. But they, they've been real smart. They, they've used the schedule to their advantage, and, uh, and they've got their best pitchers in the game. It, 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 it very or most juncture, the earliest juncture they needed to get them in there, and, and they've pitched great. I mean, Miller and Allen pitched 21 on the third school since between them in, in the postseason. So, uh, you know, hats off to the Indians uh, for, for realizing their October baseball is a little bit different than April to September baseball, and, and they've used that to their advantage. We know how good of a job Andrew Miller has done since coming to the Cleveland Indians from the New York Yankees. I don't know if he has a sort of Samson complex now that he was able to grow back his beard, but whatever is working for him seems to be doing the trick to win the ALCS MVP. How important do you think it was for the team to be able to bring him over, and what can you say about the job he's been able to do so far coming out of that bullpen? Well, I think, I think first of all, you know, it gave them the sense that, hey, we're trying to win here. And, and, you know, and it's a big commitment for a small market team to make to take on not only a big salary, but give up four prospects, including two of the better prospects in their farm system, and Clint Frazier, the outfielder, and uh, the left-hander Justice Sheffield. So I think, for one, that sent a message to the, club, the guys in the clubhouse, hey, you know, we're, we're going to try to win this thing. And secondly, I mean, they've got arguably the best relief pitcher in baseball. So, you, you know, between the mental aspect of it and the, and the physical aspect, adding a good guy from that caliber to your bullpen, uh, I think it's a terrific move. And, and you know, I mean, they don't know her. I said that they were trying to go to the World Series, and he got them here. And, you know, it, it, it couldn't have worked out any better. And it happened for a few more years after this year. So it's not a, like a rental situation. Even though this series hasn't been decided yet, what can you say about the job that Terry Francona not only has done for this season, but since coming over to the Cleveland Indians, he hasn't had a losing season in an incredibly long time, and what he's been able to do with sometimes having that pitching staff be in shambles, as we mentioned, trying to implement some younger players and deal with those injuries with the veteran players he's had. It just seems like he's been able to push all the right buttons so far. Has that been sort of the sense you've been getting as well? Well, he has. And, and, and you know, I think when, when he was in Boston, he probably didn't get the credit he deserved for winning two, two World Series. You know, a lot of people thought, well, you know, when you have that kind of talent, you have that kind of payroll, and anybody can win, but, but that's... Uh, you know, that's not the case. And I mean, he's, first of all, he's a people person. His guys love him. He communicates with his players. They want to play hard. They want to play well. He has that knack of making every guy on the team from the star down to a point man feel important, feel they have a role to play and, and they can be a hero for this team. You know, so you have that. And, and I think what we found out now is he's a very good tactician too, because he came to Cleveland, you know. Like, like I said, everybody could say, uh, you know, well, he had a, a lot of good players. Anybody can manage that team. Well, I mean, he has some good players here, but clearly not as many good players in the depth of the talent that he had in Boston. And he still won. They've had four winning seasons here on a very low payroll. He took them to the playoffs the first year. They won their last 10 games of the regular season to get in the wild card. And this year, uh, you know, they, uh, they've broken through and they won the division and it was no fluke. They won by eight games over the, over the Tigers. And, uh, you know, I just think he's really the perfect one. He's, he knows how to, he knows how to get the most done with players. And also he's a great strategist and, and basically, that's the two things you look for in a manager, and uh, he, he has them both. You mentioned the perfect blend, and sticking with managers, 
it seems like Joe Madden is also the perfect blend for these Chicago Cubs and has been since he's also come over to Chicago. He's a little bit quirky, as we know. He does things his way. He's very lighthearted when it comes to some of the stuff he does off the field and in the clubhouse just to keep that team loose, but at the same time, bringing together a lot of younger players to mesh with some of the guys that have been around the block a little bit, and they've just really seemed to gel incredibly well under him. I think there's a lot of different similarities to be said when it comes to the different things Terry Francona does and what Joe Madden does. What can you say about the job he's been able to do as well for these Chicago Cubs? I think Joe likes to push the envelope a little. And you're right, he's a little quirky. He likes to do some different things strategically. Uh, you know, he's uh, you know a little different. Uh, Francona is more of a uh, a baseball rat. Uh, you know, a guy that's just been in the game his whole life. His father Tito played for 15 years in the big leagues, including six here in Cleveland. And you know, Joe's a little different. You know, he's more of an academic guy. He went to you know a very good school in Lafayette uh, College. He, he's uh, a little more literate than, than a lot of baseball people, to be honest. He's a fine connoisseur, kind of a, more of a uh, Renaissance man than, than you usually see. But you know, he's a baseball guy at heart too. When you really get to know him, he, he beat the bushes for many years as a scout and minor league manager. And uh, you know, he has a tremendous way of relating to, to people and, and be it not just his players, but fans, the media, everybody. The kids are working in a clubhouse, picking up the laundry after the game. I mean, he's really, he's just, a, he's a very unique person. And, and I mean, it's almost if you get a chance, and I've been fortunate enough going back to his days as a coach in the Angels organization who've gone to know Joe. I mean, it's almost impossible not to like him. His players just love him. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I was talking to Kyle Hendricks about this yesterday during the media day here in Cleveland. And uh, he said, you know, the two years he's been here as manager, there has not been one stressful moment for this team, either on the field or in the clubhouse. He said, and in a sport where you're playing day after day after day for six months after a six-week, seven-week spring training, and now he said we're playing another month in the postseason, he said, for it to be best relaxed, he said, you just don't understand unless you go through it how important it is because he said it's a long season and there's a lot of stress as it is not to have your manager making things more stressful. And he said uh, that's why, you know, his guys, Madden's guys love him for it. And they go out and they play hard for him and, and they would do anything he asked. And, and I mean, it's just that that atmosphere and that, that kind of caring that he has for his players is really what, uh, you know, sets him apart and Francona too, just in different ways. It's really been amazing what he's been able to do because you have, especially in the pitching staff, these veteran guys who have been to the World Series before. They know what it's like to be in the postseason and Lester and John Lackey, even David Ross behind the plate having to gel with the younger guys of Major League Baseball, some of the rising superstars of the game, and Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant, it seems like these guys have been playing with each other, though, for years. And a lot of that, of course, has to do with Joe Madden. But I think it also has to do with the quality of players that the Cubs have been able to develop and ones they've been able to bring in. What's been so special about this team that you've been able to see as the season has worn on, and especially in the postseason up till now? Belief. I mean, you know, they went to spring training as the clear favorite, and, and everybody knew it. They knew it. And, you know, we've seen this a lot in the last few years. The team to beat usually doesn't end up winning. You remember a couple of years ago, there was a big buzz around the Blue Jays. They made a couple of big trades in the winter. It was their time, and, and they finished under 500. And, and I think a lot of times teams, on, you know, they, they get crushed by the weight of those expectations. Uh, and the Cubs didn't. I mean, from day one, they, they were swamped by media in, in their spring training camp in, in, in Mesa. I mean, there were, there were all these great expectations. And, you know, and Joe Matt, I mean, if the players walk into a clubhouse the first day and uh, they have T-shirts uh, sitting in their lockers saying, uh, embrace the target. So, I mean, you know, he took it. And, uh, you know, instead of taking his pressure, he took it as, hey, you know, people have high hopes for us. Let's uh, prove them right. And, you know, it's pretty impressive. And they've done it. And, I mean, you know, they really, you know, they've had a few stumbles along the way. But, I mean, in the 103 games, they've won seven more in the postseason. So it's been a happy year. And there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes for both teams, of course. But I found it interesting that five years to the day when Theo Epstein announced that he was coming to the Chicago Cubs, they actually end up clinching his spot to advance to the World Series. 
And he's another guy that just has seemed to be pressing all the right buttons, first with the Red Sox and now with the Chicago Cubs, bringing in Araldis Chapman, doing what he's been able to do to build this team. What can you say about the job that he's been able to do in his short time with the Chicago Cubs to get them to where they are today? It's, it's you know, in a lot of ways, it's more impressive with what he did with Boston because when he took over as the GM in Boston, they already had a good team. Cubs weren't very good, so he had to build them from the ground up, and they were willing to take their losses so they could get high draft picks, and he hit on a lot of them. And, uh, you know, when you take a guy who's pretty sharp, sharp and, and you give him a lot of money on top of it, you know, it's a pretty good combination. And I think everybody figured that, that he would be have a very good chance to uh, get the Cubs here to, to the World Series. Uh, not only the, the World Series for the first time since 1945, but, but uh, sitting here with Gordon Whitmire, the Cubs beat reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times, and he has pointed out, you know, uh, Justin Grimm is, is a reliever uh, on this team, and Charlie Grimm led the Cubs to a couple World Series. So this is the first time since 32 that somebody not – you have to go back to 1932 since somebody not named Grimm was on a Cub NL pennant winner. So wow. there's a, next time, you know, like the trivia question at the local sports bar, there you go. You'll be a winner. Get a free beer. Perfect. The trivia questions that could be answered in the past several days from all the different types of storylines that have been coming out have been miraculous. And oh, unfortunately, amazing. we don't have three or four hours to deal with all of them. I guess it's now time to hit on some of the different things you would think each team will need to do to give them the best shot at winning the World Series. Cleveland is lucky enough to have that home field advantage. And as you mentioned, the city of Cleveland in itself, celebrating the Cleveland Cavaliers winning the NBA Finals and having this first World Series back since 1997, the place is going crazy. So they'll at least have that early momentum when it comes to the crowd. But what do you think they'll need to do in this series to be able to combat against the Chicago Cubs? Well, I think the Indians for sure will need Corey Kluber to pitch really well, especially if they end up lining him up to pitch three games, which is a strong possibility to pitch one, four, and seven. You know, he proved in the ALCS that he could could pitch on short rest pretty effectively. He's had some extra time off between starts and – you know, I think if he can, if he can, if he can pitch the way he can in games one, four, and seven, that would help. If Trevor Bauer could, could, could follow his good friend Garrett Cole from his UCLA days, uh, you know, Cole has pitched well in the past against the Cubs, and if Bauer could do the same in game two, uh, you know, that would be a big lift because uh, they only got four, uh, four, four batters from uh, as we talked about earlier from Bauer in uh, the ALCF, so uh, I think that's going to be the key. They're going to need good starting pitching, uh, to, you know, to get them, uh, you know, keep enough into the game where then they can go to Miller and Allen. And if those two guys can get them out of the gates good in one and two here in Cleveland, uh, that would, would certainly bode well for, for the uh, Indians pulling an upset here. Do you think Terry uh, Francona might continue to keep a shorter leash on his starting pitching should they get in trouble? I'm sure he's going to rely on Kluber to get him probably to at least the seventh, but with his other staff, he really hasn't had a problem bringing in his bullpen a little bit earlier than you might think he would. Is that something you think he might continue in this World Series? Oh, I think so. I mean, they've had uh, nearly a week off since their last game, so those guys are rested or- have another day off uh, Thursday, uh, another day off Monday. So, yeah, I, I think he'll work those guys hard. Uh, but I think in a perfect world, Kluber would be been pretty deep tonight to where, you know, maybe they'll have to use them an inning each. But, uh, yeah, they're rested and ready to go because, uh, I mean, it's do or die now because after this, they got the rest of the winter to rest up for, for next year. That's right. And when it comes to Chicago, I'm sure Cleveland was hopeful that their bats would stay cold as they were for a couple games with the Dodgers, but they really started to heat up toward the end of that series and break things open to advance them to the Fall Classic. And it'll be a tale of those younger bats and some of the veteran guys going against this pitching staff that we've heard so much about, especially the bullpen in Cleveland. What do you think the Cubs will need to do to give them the best shot as the series goes on? Well, I think it would, it would, would certainly help them to, to get early leads since we're uh, Allen and Miller and Shaw and Salazar's in that mix where they don't pack her in as much or you have them coming in the games where they're behind and trying to hold things close. So, uh, you know, I, I think it definitely if they, if they can get, to, get a few runs early in these games, it, it would certainly swing things 
to their advantage because, uh, you know, the Indians are pretty tough to beat once they bring the bullpen in. But the Cubs also have the kind of lineup they can score a lot of runs in a hurry, too. And it's a very strong lineup, one through nine. Do you see any unsung heroes or role players, whether that's in the starting lineup, in the field, or in the rotation, that we might want to look out for for both teams that could have a major impact as this series goes on? I think Roger Davis for, for Cleveland, he, he led the league, American League in stolen bases. And, uh, you know, much has been made of the problems John Lester has holding runners, but it really hasn't hurt John Lester that much. Nobody's taken advantage of it in the postseason, and it'll be interesting to see if the Indians do tonight. But Davis can do some damage with his legs and so can Francis still indoors. So Davis can get on base and, and maybe, uh, you know, try to rack Lester a little. I think he could be. And, you know, so it comes to the. You know, uh, it's it, it's hard. I mean, they, they don't really have any. They have so many stars. It, it, it's hard to see anybody, a role player, uh, really come in and, and, and do much. I mean, even especially if you're using a role as Chapman two weeks at a time, I would say maybe somebody like a, a Pedro Stroke in middle, you know, like in setup or Hector Rondon. So, uh, you know, it, it's, coming. it's a very, very hard pick for a cup right now because. Uh, you know, they, they don't really have that surprise-type player. But, but I think for the Indians, I think now Jay Davis would, would be that guy. And the biggest storyline and all that's been talked about, as we know, is the one, two, or three, or four, however many you want to look at it, different curses that have befallen the Chicago Cubs throughout these many, many years. Do you think that will play any factor at all in being either in the minds of the fans if things aren't necessarily going their way, especially when they get into Chicago, or the players where they might tighten up a little bit? I don't know what it is about baseball, but it seems like the ghosts of the game tend to rear their ugly heads a little bit more in this sport than they might do in others. Do you think that might have any effect on any part of this World Series as we move forward? You know, it's hard because both teams are in that situation, you know. I mean, if the Cubs were playing uh, somebody, I don't like the Red Sox or the Yankees or somebody you know, who's had fairly recent success, or, you know, I think it'd be different. But, that, you know, it's both teams are that way. So I, I think it kind of cancels each other out. I really do. And uh, I really get the feeling from the players from both teams here in the last few weeks that they really don't think about it. So we'll see. It'll be interesting to see what happens, but, uh, you know, it's uh, certainly a potential to be a, a lot of great storylines, like you said. And, uh, you know, the Indians, uh, have they may not have the Billy Goat curse, but they have the curse of Rocky Colavito. People in Northeast Ohio will tell you Colavito uh, was a very popular slugger in, in the 50s for the Indians, and they traded into the Detroit Tigers in 1959, and you'll have some timers here to insist that this team and cursed ever since they gave Rocky Colavito away to the Tigers. Not as notable as Babe Ruth, but it still hits home for the Cleveland fans. What do you think this means for the game of baseball? We have two pretty well-storied franchises finally making it to the World Series. Really, whoever comes out on top will have amazing storylines to take with them because of what they were able to overcome. What do you think this means for the game as a whole, just to have these two teams in the World Series, regardless of who wins or loses? Well, I think it's fun. You know, more than more than the other sports, baseball has some tradition, so much history that people talk about, rely on, uh, enjoy talking about. And I mean, there's a lot of negative history here for both franchises. 108 years since the Cubs won the World Series. That's, that's pretty amazing. I think if you set out to try to not to win. For 108 years, you might not be able to pull it off. And, uh, you know, the Indians, uh, I think that the one thing with the Cavaliers winning this summer has taken a little bit of that edge off in this city. I think if it if it's still they were looking for a title, I think that it would be a little more pressure on the Indians. But, but I got the feeling they don't feel the weight of the world on their shoulders. I know I talked to Cody Allen about this the other day and during the ALCS, and he said, you know, when the Cavaliers won, it just created this energy in the whole city. and It just carried over, and, and we feel it. And, and I think for so long, so much bad things happened in sports in the city, from the Browns blowing a couple chances to go to the Super Bowl in the 80s, to the Cavs uh, losing a couple series, the Indians uh, losing the World Series a couple times. I, I really believe that they feel that curse is over now. I, I think they uh, they believe this city is uh, ready to win, and uh, 
they're not ready to uh, stop at one championship. Uh, you know, I think they want to get it to the point where people are going to say, you know, we're seeing with titles. Before I let you go, I have to put you on the spot. Who do you have winning the World Series? Well, I, I must admit, in my heart, I would, I would like to see the Indians win. I grew up not far from here in Western Pennsylvania. I have a my, my mother grew up an Indians fan. She was a very big Indians fan. My late mother and uh, Terry Francona has been a dear friend going back to our days playing baseball against each other in high school. He's a, a tremendous person and. Uh, I'd like to see the Indians win. Uh, I'm not going to lie; you're, you're not supposed to root, and I'm not rooting this this quarter. But, but, but my my head tells me the Cubs are, are just the better team, and especially with the Indians without Carrasco and Salazar in their rotation, I don't think the series will come back here. I think the Cubs will wrap it up Sunday in five games. Five games, Chicago Cubs. Do you have a potential MVP candidate for the Cubs? Then, uh, I don't know, Chris Bryant. I think, you know, he's had a good postseason, and I, I think uh, he's going to bust out here. I really do. Beautiful. Well, as we said, this is one of those World Series where it'll be very difficult to dislike whoever wins just because of what both teams have been to. But obviously, each franchise hopes that they'll wait until next year to win their World Series and let them have it this year. Well, John, I have to thank you for coming onto the show. I'm sure you're incredibly excited to get this game started, and the atmosphere is probably going to be outstanding. So I hope you enjoy yourself for game one and game two. I appreciate you coming on. It was a pleasure getting to know a little bit more about this World Series and talking baseball with you tonight. That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can listen to this show and all previous shows over on my website at londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at London Bridge. You can subscribe to The Bridge on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast or by searching for John Lund under Artists. By doing so, you'll immediately be notified when new episodes are posted as podcasts each week. You can also leave a positive rating and review to make me seem a lot better than I might actually be. The Bridge Sports Podcast can also be found on Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn, as well as SportsRadioAmerica.com by searching for The Bridge under the Shows tab. And you can also listen to the show live every Wednesday night at SportsRadioAmerica.com or on the TuneIn app. You could subscribe to the Bridge newsletter, which will provide weekly updates about the next show and who the featured guests might be by visiting LondonBridge.com email. You can also email the show at media at LondonBridge.com. And you can call in or text into the show anytime, any day at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. On the next installment of The Bridge, we'll take a look at the World Series. We'll take a look around the National Football League. We'll take a peek at the start of the NBA regular season and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve. On The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports.